Super Talk Mississippi media production. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day. Well, we didn't get any rain around here like we thought we might yesterday. Yeah, a little bit, but yeah, not as much as we were hoping for. But uh, we did get some across, uh, particularly the northern part of the state, some down in the southwest corner. Did it dampen the voter spirit yesterday, though? I don't think so. Doesn't seem like it. Yeah. We got Henry Barber coming in at 11.05, GOP strategist. He'll provide his insightful analysis on yesterday's results, and we'll start digging into the 2024 elections, and then, of course, the general election in Mississippi is on the horizon in November. The, of course, top uh, high-profile affair there will be the race for governor. But coming up at 1020 in the next segment, it's Caleb Saylor's. Multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News. He'll provide the coverage. Excellent job by our news team covering uh, the results in Mississippi. What'd you think? It was, um, I thought, pretty much in line with expectations. What did I say yesterday about Mr. Hoseman? What did I say again? Do you remember? I, I got some feedback after the show from people who said that I teased it effectively. <laughs> I ran out of time, honestly. And remember, I said I'll give you my thoughts on the other end of the other side of the break. I said fifty-two. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the rest of it was. Well, um, I, I tell you where I didn't call right whatsoever was Miss uh, Longino. I was um, I, I was kind of surprised for a person who really had not run before, didn't have a great deal of name ID. And didn't have any money. And she got, she peeled off, what, five plus percent of the vote in the lieutenant governor's race. Kind of feels like, besides the voters that, that voted for her out of just support for her platform, she was a, a great landing pad for protest votes against Delbert, but that couldn't quite pull the trigger for McDaniel. I think uh, that's accurate. I, I think it's general disgust. With the uh, the venom spewed uh, in the in the campaign, really in the race, she she received eighteen thousand seven hundred and ninety votes. That's with ninety two percent of the precincts in of the votes. Yeah, still in. waiting on Bolivar, Walthall, 
I think Walt. Oh, yeah. Walt Fox Inn, I think. I'm, I'm looking here. I, I, the Have they finally come in? Looks like it. Uh, no, wait. You're right. There is one little lone county, and you're absolutely right. That is Walthall. You're correct, my friend. Uh, I didn't see it. Had to blow up uh, my map here a little bit. Uh, one lone county on the border with Louisiana there, right in the center. That would be virtually directly below, south of Jackson. That's Walthall. Tyler Town, right? And I don't know what the deal is. And is it Holmes? What's the deal there? What's the deal with Holmes? Didn't we have problems with Holmes before being late? Don't you remember something about that? In a, Was it Holmes or Bolivar? Heck, it could. I know have been there both. were a couple of elections in a row where it's like the people that running the elections in a certain county. I don't remember which one it was. We just all right. It's nine o'clock. Go home. We'll do it tomorrow. I think it was Holmes. I, I don't know why that comes to mind. Uh, okay, and the other one I'm showing it's still outstanding. It's Montgomery. Oh yeah. Okay, so. Am I counting right? Four total counties outstanding? Let's do it again. That would be Bolivar, Montgomery, Holmes, and Walthall. That's is that correct. what you see? Okay. Well, I don't know what the deal is, but they're still outstanding. Surely and, by the time we're done today, they'll be in. I would think so. Uh, I attended the governor's watch party last night at the old Capitol Inn, not far from the Capitol in the governor's mansion, State Street, downtown Jackson. Sizable crowd. That race was called relatively early, and the governor came out. I thought did an excellent job in uh, his remarks. He then, so yesterday, you may recall, I said he gets 70% plus. I said north of 70%. He got 74.5%. And it was just a, I guess you could call it a semi-educated guess. I won't say it was a total guess. It was just a, uh, some extrapolation, I guess, just based on the candidates in the race and just sentiment, anecdotal sentiment, and so forth. Uh, Dr. Witcher, John Witcher, received 63,165 votes, the last count I've seen, which has 93% of the votes in. In that, Same four counties missing. Yeah, exactly. So 17.9% of the vote he captured. And then Mr. Hardigree, uh, David Hardigree, uh, 26,965, 7.6%. And I'll say it again, guys. Hats off to everybody. There's no shame, I promise. And I know they're not happy, the folks who lost. I get it. You want to win? It's human nature. I'm with them. I hate to lose. But you put yourself out there, you enter the fray, hats off. Hats off. Guarantee you. Much respect to anybody that's willing to suit up and deal with the, the anxiety, the sacrifice, sometimes the attacks. Sometimes that extends to your dang family, which is really despicable in my view. But for you to, and even though you know you've never run before, perhaps, you don't have a lot of money, don't have a great deal of, of uh, name ID, but for you to put your, put your hat in the ring, as they say, metaphorically speaking, and run, takes a lot of guts, a lot of fortitude. And I have deep respect for them. I know one thing that we should all take 
some recognition, some stock in. This is a dang great country. You think about this process, and I know there are people that are unhappy today, their candidate didn't win, but it's unique on the planet, our system. It, uh, of course, we always have to seek ways to improve it, no doubt about it. But overall, I thought yesterday uh, went off fairly smoothly. I don't really, I'm not aware of any big hitches in the voting process. I didn't hear anything that folks complained about. The only thing I heard about was the sample ID, right? Yeah. That had the old flyer and the power going out at one polling place, but it was back on relatively shortly. Yeah, had that. And I heard of some precincts which ran out of ballots. Seems like that happens regularly. But I, I heard those were all resolved. Right. I, the, the deal is, did everybody that wanted to vote get to vote that showed up on time? Right, that showed up at the polling place on time and was a registered, valid, eligible, qualified voter, presented the proper credentials. I mean, all that being said, were they allowed to vote? That's the main thing. I didn't hear any reports of people saying, despite what you hear out of Washington Democrats in particular, voter suppression. That's such garbage. Such garbage. I think everybody that wanted to participate in the voting process was allowed to do so. And you had ample time to cast your ballot on an absentee basis if you met the requirements there. I thought it went well overall. So shout out to the Secretary of State's office and all the circuit clerks, all the poll workers, the elections commissioners. It's a lot of effort on their part to pull it off. Got to give my daughter some kudos. She got up early in the morning yesterday, headed over to eastern Mississippi, Lauderdale County. She told me she she observed as a poll watcher. Also went to Scott and Newton counties doing the same. Got back into town around 8.30 last night. Joined me at uh, the governor's event. And that was good. The governor, I thought, again, did a good job with his remarks. He reflected on the campaign. He, of course, acknowledges that he's got a big one ahead of him in the general. And he told, the, uh, of course, the partisan crowd, expect the Democrats to pull out all the stops with respect to money and support for his general election opponent, Mr. Presley who just got married, by the way. Congratulations to Mr. Presley on his recent nuptials. By the way, Ben from Madison says, I think you said Hoseman would win by eight points. I think that's right, Ben. And according to my calculations, it was pretty close to that, uh, 8.5. 8.5%. So... Pretty pretty good uh, projection there. We got Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News, in next to run down all the results. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi.
an appropriate tune there. Huey Lewis <laughs> in the news because we welcome now to the Element Well Studio multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News, Caleb Sailors. Yeah, I don't bring the news as well as Huey Lewis and company did, but I'll do my best today. <laughs> All right, Caleb. Uh, we uh, I don't think we saw any major surprises. I mean, surprises typically in politics would be like upsets, mm-hmm. right? You know, situations where someone uh, took on a uh, an incumbent and was able to defeat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that comes to mind I'll ask you about is public service commissioner in the South, in the Southern District. So incumbent Dane Maxwell uh, was unseated by Nelson Wayne Carr. And I honestly didn't expect to see that one happening. Of course, I didn't have a lot of information coming from the southern portion of the state about that race. But I, I just, you know, you think the incumbent in those situations are typically going to win. But I had a couple of sources tell me that that Maxwell was seen kind of as the pro utility companies guy, and that I saw a comment on one of the forums about him that he never saw a rate increase that he didn't like, and some people on the Southern District were upset with that and didn't like that. And I heard that. Um, Nelson Carr had a pretty good campaign in Hattiesburg and in portions of like Gulfport and Biloxi too and got voters out. And I kept seeing the numbers come in last night and I was like, okay, well, it's early on. The incumbent will probably take over here. And then, no, he just kept separating himself further and further from Maxwell and then it eventually got called for him. And so we'll have a new public service commissioner on the Southern District and on the Northern District too. Chris Brown, longtime state representative, defeated Tanner Newman. So we'll, and he'll occupy Brandon Presley's seat, you know, as Presley's running for governor. So now we've got two new faces in the public service commission. And it's interesting now looking at November because Chris Brown and uh, Nelson Carr don't face any opponents on the Democrat side. They're unopposed in November. But you have DeKeither Stamps versus Brent Bailey in the Central District. And if Stamps wins, you'll have all three new public service commissioners in Mississippi. But if Bailey wins, the incumbent, you'll have all three Republican members of the public service commission. So yeah, kind gotcha. of the way I was thinking about that last night. But we had a couple of unexpected uh, turns of events, too. Uh, in House District 2, Nick Bain, yep. you know, longtime representative, was forced to a runoff with Brad Maddox. And then House District 10, Brady Williamson, the incumbent, was defeated by Josh Hawkins, not to be confused with Josh Harkins, who was on with you yesterday. (laughs) And then um, House District 23, Perry Van Bailey, who was sworn in on February 15th in a special election, only won by seven votes. Well, he's forced to a runoff. And um, House District 72, one with local interest, Rakia Lumumba, the sister of uh, Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba, uh, was forced to a runoff with Justice Gibbs. And then uh, uh, one that was kind of surprising for people on the coast or people in the south was uh, Senate District 46. Philip Moran was unseated by uh, Philman Ladner. Yeah. One that a lot of people an didn't in, expect. An incumbent that mm-hmm. wasn't expected to uh, to go down. That You know, uh, the other race of note, certainly on the Senate side, was uh, Senator Chad McMahon. Mm-hmm. Had a, a, a strong... Uh, run from Lawrence Smith, the mm-hmm. challenger. He uh, he did end up winning fairly handily, 57% to 43%. Uh, didn't really uh, know what to expect in that one. Uh, she she was uh, in a very active campaign. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, of course, uh, the senator, the incumbent. It's always a, a tough deal. And then the open seat in what about this one in DeSoto County that. Uh, uh, that had Kimberly Remack 
Uh, has that one been called yet? I'm seeing that it's in Jimmy Goodkind is the challenger there. So 50% is what I'm seeing on her, but I don't I don't see on that particular race. I have not that's, seen that one called at this point. That's District 7, so I don't think that's been called yet, right? Mm-hmm. On the House side, uh, Ms. Remack, I think, has served as the president of the Mississippi Federation of Republican Women. I think she's run for office before. That one has not yet been called. Not called, right? 98% reporting. She's at 50%, and then uh, James Goodkind is at 45%. Right. Where's the other five? Uh a guy named I'm trying to oh, per- so there's Pergori- another candidate. Pergorian Walker has 151 votes, five percent. Okay, gotcha. So that one hadn't been called yet. That though, one has right? not been called yet. Also, the uh, Democratic uh, ticket for ad commissioner has not yet been called. But it's looking like Robert Bradford will win that one. Most likely, he's at 52 percent right now. Uh, Bethany Hills at 26 percent, and Terry Rogers is at 22 percent. And if it if, he, if it doesn't get called, obviously, it'll go to a runoff, and runoffs will be held on August 29th. That's a Tuesday. Right. And so we'll see there. But it's looking – we've got about 94% reporting uh, – precincts reporting in that race. So it's looking like Bradford will separate himself from the pack. But there are a few that have not been called yet. So it's interesting to see the ones that haven't been called yet. You know, when you, when you go vote on Tuesday, you're hoping that all the votes are counted by the time Wednesday morning rolls around. But sometimes that's just not the case. Yeah, and uh, Mr. Bradford, it was an interesting race because mm-hmm. there there was three uh, really active candidates that uh, campaigned, I think, uh, quite quite heartily. And Mr. Bradford, of course, was uh, on the program. All three of them were on the program mm-hmm. when we were at Neshoba County Fair. He comes from a uh, an agricultural background. Mm-hmm. He brings that to the table, and uh, I suspect that that uh, boosted uh, his chances, and it's why he's probably uh, top of the ticket there. Well, his campaign and his speech at Neshoba, too, was all about the agricultural industry. He, didn't yeah. get in, he really didn't get into, quote-unquote, political manners much, just talked about the farm and how to run an agricultural industry, how to run a yeah. farm and everything, and, and he definitely has a lot of experience in that realm. Now, he'll be facing a tough challenger in November, yeah. presuming he wins this election. He'll be facing a tough one in a very popular Andy Gibson, so we'll see how that goes. We also had some um, new sheriffs. I, I like the uh, adage, there's a new sheriff in town. Well, in Soto County, Thomas Tuggle, who was a longtime lieutenant colonel of the Mississippi Highway Patrol, was also over the law enforcement training academy for a while. He's now the new sheriff of DeSoto County. Their uh, outgoing sheriff had retired and endorsed Tuggle for that position. Yeah. So he's also the first black sheriff there since 1873. Oh, and interesting. So historic election there in Hines County. Uh, Marshawn Chrysler challenged Tyree Jones, but... It, it didn't go well for Mr. Chrysler. Tyree Jones won by about 70 points. Wow. And um, Former uh, city councilman, mm-hmm. Mr. Chrysler. Yep. Yes, sir. And he was, whenever I was living in Jackson as a kid, he was one of our city councilmen. Yep. And then in uh, Harrison County, you had Matt. This was a pretty heated race. I mean, these two candidates were neck and neck the entire time. Matt Haley, a longtime law enforcement officer, has got about 25 years of experience in the field. He yep. defeated Lewis Elias in a very close race. And the two were very amicable with one another, too, in that race. Both have a lot of experience in law enforcement. So Haley will take over, be the new sheriff in town down there. Yeah. Uh, overall, just an interesting night. I just want to follow up on that uh, Democratic Agriculture Commission yeah. race. All three of those candidates, of course, uh, Mr. Rogers, very young man. 19. Yeah, incredible. I mean, much respect to him Absolutely. to jump into that deal. Uh, all three, I thought... Uh, did well, articulated their their message well. I, I just called attention to Mr. Bradford because uh, believe he's the only one that has uh, personal experience as a farmer. 
Rogers does too. He, he does too. Okay. He was he was raised on from. He's he's just so young. Okay, but he was he's very Rogers was very energetic, very no excited. Uh, glad to get his camp. He's like you got to start somewhere. And if you want, he, he said, "If I'm going to swing, I'm going to swing big and try to get a statewide office, which was neat." And uh, Bethany Hill talked a lot about food insecurity, she how did? she would use the agriculture industry hemp. to address. Yeah, and hemp. Yeah, but how she would address food insecurity through the agriculture industry. Kind of like, I mean, our current commissioner, uh, Andy Gibson, did the same thing with his SAFE plan. Yep. But Bradford seemed to be the one of that field of candidates of, on the Democratic side who had the most uh, who had the most experience on the farm in the agriculture industry itself. All three impressed me. Absolutely. I'll just tell you that. Now, I think uh, uh, Commissioner Gibson is, is probably in the driver's seat Absolutely. to win that race in the general. I think uh, he is very popular. His, his, um, his work has uh, been respected. And well received, so I suspect he will cruise to victory in that particular race. But I, I was just—it's just good to see new faces enter the realm, and uh, and people that have a chance. And I think I uh, had a message that resonated with a lot of voters. And you see that in a couple of the other election or other races as well. Like on the attorney general side, Greta Kemp Martin had yeah. a very strong message, very sent a strong so. message to the current incumbent, Lynn Fitch. And then, of course, both of those were unopposed yesterday. They'll face off against each other in November. Yep. Then on the Secretary of State side, Shawaski Young had a strong message, too. Talked a lot about online voter registration, uh, fixing a lot of these problems at the polls, not having changes in precincts the night before an election. And so he's sending a strong message to the current incumbent, Michael Watson, as well. But again, you look at it though; it is hard to unseat an incumbent. But it is good to see, you know, yep. fresh candidates on both sides of the aisle bringing fresh ideas. Yeah. So before you go, any surprises in the governor's and lieutenant governor's race? No, I mean, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman took down Chris McDaniel yesterday. A lot of people expected that one to go into a runoff. It didn't. So Lieutenant Governor uh, was hired, rehired for the job, as he says uh, on his campaign, and nothing surprising on the governor's trail uh, now. Reeves will face a tough challenger in Brandon Presley, who's run a strong campaign accusing the governor of failing the state's hospital system and of corruption. And so we'll see how that one goes down. But on the lieutenant governor's side, though, the challengers, no one knows a lot about him. So I expect Delbert Hoseman to kind of read. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. We appreciate Caleb for coming in and sharing the results that uh, our news department so aptly tracked and published. And then uh, we got Henry Barber coming in at 11.05. Always interesting and insightful conversation with Mr. Barber. He is a seasoned political professional. He's been through a race or two. And it'll be... Uh, entertaining, I think, and informative to get his uh, his thoughts on what happened yesterday. Uh, I'd have to say that probably the biggest surprise to me was the Public Service Commissioner race. Two surprises to takeaways. Public Service Commissioner race in the Southern District. 
just an incumbent going down like that. And, uh, of course, Dane, Mr. Maxwell, uh, pretty well known for his handling of the Trump campaign in the state of Mississippi in 16. Traveled around with the Trump campaign quite a bit and uh, was very involved, heavily involved in that. Mr. Carr on the program last week has never run for office before. I think has a background, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino is a like an electrical contractor, electrician. That is that what you recall when we talked to him about that? Yeah, I want to say said he worked in, in construction. Yeah, but uh, electrical specifically, as I recall, that aspect of construction, and hasn't hasn't uh, run for office before. And I think it was kind of a semi-late decision. I don't think it's something he, as I recall when he was discussing it, had been thinking about quite a bit. So that was a bit of a surprise. And to me, guys, the other big surprise was the number of votes received by uh, Ms. Longino in the race for lieutenant governor on the Republican side. I, I just I didn't see that coming, and I completely missed that in my projections. And, and the reason I projected that she likely wouldn't receive too many votes, I certainly didn't think she'd get over 5%. I didn't see that coming. That amounts to 18,791. That's still with, what we say, four counties out? Yeah, four counties. Um, they're not large counties. I would, you know, It's not going to really move the needle a whole, a whole lot. But nonetheless, she never run for office before runs for second-highest office in the state, and didn't really have any money, didn't have a campaign apparatus to speak of, 18,791 votes. Impressive, honestly, impressive. But you do wonder, were they just people that said, you know, I'm sick of the attack ads back and forth, and I just don't want either one of them. I don't know who this person is, but that's who I'm voting for. Just kind of a spite vote. You think that was at play? I'm going to ask Henry about that as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I was talking about earlier. Like, I'm sure she gained some support from what limited campaigning she was able to pull off. Yeah. But that outsized number of votes compared to the money she had to spend and her ability to campaign across the state tells me that there were a lot of protest votes that she picked up because she was a great landing pad. If you if you didn't like McDaniel but couldn't agree with Delbert, or if you didn't want to vote for Delbert but couldn't pull the trigger for McDaniel, you had a third option. Yeah. You know, when I was uh, in high school, it was Governor Cliff Finch. He kind of kind of kind of rose up as a result of the two high-profile candidates just beating the heck out of each other, and he ultimately uh, won the governor's seat. Uh, just it's a little different. He ended up winning. She didn't, but it's it's different in that she was kind of in the background. She benefited, let's say, the way Mr. Finch did from just the 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 fighting, if you will, the the campaign fighting between the other two high profile candidates. And uh, to some extent, uh, Governor Fordyce, a little bit of the same track as well. And that's where you get into the stickiness of ranked choice voting. Yeah. In a situation, for example, like with the lieutenant governor's race, because it was very contentious between two high-profile candidates, you would have people 
say your your ballot was I vote for Hoseman one, I can't stand McDaniel, so I put Longino two, and then McDaniel three. Yeah, and then you have another candidate that goes, well, I'm voting McDaniel one, can't stand Delbert, so I'm putting Longino two and Hoseman three. Yep. Then you wind up with a whole bunch of people canceling out each other's votes and. Tiffany Longino would have wound up winning more than likely. Yeah, so, and, and thanks for reminding me that. I did uh, mention yesterday we just explained what ranked choice voting is all about. And I, I tell you, I ran into some folks at the two events last night that are, of course, heavily involved in the political realm. And I asked them, I don't know how it came up in the conversation, they never heard of it. They never heard of ranked choice voting. So it turns out, uh, that, uh, just to pass on to you, there are two states that have adopted it, ranked choice voting, in the United States. believe that is Alaska and Maine. Two states. And, but there are a number of municipalities, 47, if I'm not mistaken, that have adopted ranked choice voting. So, Maine, uh, uses it in in state primary, congressional, and presidential elections, and for state congressional and presidential general elections in Alaska. It's where ranked choice voting is used. 47 cities, some of those are large. uh, Salt Lake City, Seattle, Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, Virginia, Utah, and Indiana Republican parties use ranked choice voting. You can kind of see it in a primary, uh, you know, a, a closed primary, if you will. But it's a little different when you use it in a general. And, and so the, the purpose of it, the logic behind it, is just there's no runoff. You're going to get a winner because all the candidates are going to be I- included, and you're going to rank them. Voters rank them. And by the way, you don't have to select every candidate. You don't have to rank every candidate. You can leave it blank. So you can just so-called suicide vote. I only want this person. They're number one. And if that person does not win in the first round, and the first, by round we just mean determine if somebody got the majority of the vote, 50% plus one, of, of those still standing. And if that person doesn't win, your ballot's tossed. It doesn't enter in. Well, that's one system of ranked choice voting. I believe that's all of them. If you if you don't if you don't mark who's your number two, it's uh, it's three, four, et cetera, choice. Your ballot's gone. You didn't vote for anybody else. Right. Your number one guy got eliminated. Now but there I, may be I some situations where some... you have to vote for everybody. Well, it's not even that. I think there are some where they apply like a point system, where if it's the number one vote on your ballot out of, say, 10 candidates, okay, then that number one candidate gets 10 points, and then number two gets nine. I hadn't seen that three one. three gets eight. And then that way you don't even have rounds. It's just whoever has the most points at the end. Okay. That's crazy complicated there. Oh, yeah. That's a little different. But the, the typical scenario is you, you rank the candidates that are on the ballot. If they're five, for example, you'd rank them one through five. And, uh, but... In all the situations I saw, you're not compelled to rank every candidate. You can rank as many as you want. And if those don't survive the rounds, your ballot is just no longer 
figured into the tabulation. You don't have any votes. So the way it works is whoever in round one, you take all the ballots, and you see if any candidate who was listed as the first choice on every ballot, if any candidate that uh, was, was voted as their number one choice receives 50% plus of the votes, they win first round. If that doesn't happen, then the, the candidate who received the least amount of votes, those ballots, if they were the, the top pick, the, the ballots on which they were the top pick, that's the candidate who received the least amount of votes, those ballots then go to their number two choice for round two. And then you add them all up and say, well, geez, now that we counted the number two choice on the ballots who selected the number one choice who got the least amount of votes in round one, hope you're able to follow this, let's see if that then produ- uh, produces a 50% plus winner. And then whoever, if it doesn't, whoever gets the least number of votes that was the number one pick in round two, those then are tossed. And we go to round three, and, and those ballots who picked that person who got the least amount in round two now go to their second pick. And you just continue to do that until you've eliminated them all and somebody emerges as a winner. I saw an, an example of one in Alaska, six rounds. Six rounds. <laughs> Crazy. That's how that stuff works. That would blow everybody's mind, wouldn't it? You just rank them and say, let the computers figure it out. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Hey! Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. You were the first thing that I thought of when I thought I drank you off my mind. When I get lost in the liquor, you're the only one I find. If I did the things I We are back in the Element Well studio. Clarify on the ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. If you'd like to join the conversation, please clarify if House District 23 is in a runoff. The, uh, it's, there, there's not. There was uh, uncontested on the Republican side. That would be, oh, wait, pardon me. I'm looking at the Senate. So let me scroll down here to the House. My apologies there. Yeah, it looks like it's um, 53% step, 47% Bailey is what I'm seeing. Yeah, which Bailey is the incumbent, right? and that is with greater than 95% of the precincts reporting. But for some reason, that one hasn't been called. Hadn't been called yet. I'm not sure why. This just must be some extrapolation based on the precincts out, not yet included in the tally. That's all I can say. Or it may be such a small number of votes that it hits that threshold of, well, there's more mail-in votes than the delta between the candidates, so now we got to count the mail-in Yeah, to get the actual numbers. Absolutely. It's talking about Cliff Finch. Uh, Price Wallace, Representative Price Wallace from Simpson County, says, with his lunchbox, that's right, Price, who could forget 
that was uh, that was his signature. I mean that that was his logo, if you will, his brand as a candidate. He was the working man's candidate, and the lunchbox sort of symbolized that. And all his all his campaign materials, his bumper stickers, signs, everything else had that on the lunchbox. It was pretty clever, honestly. Ray and Gluckstadt. Is it Henry or Haley? It's Henry Barber coming on at 11.05 in the next hour. Tim and McGee, who won the Simpson County Supervisors race, beat or District 2? I couldn't find it. I'm not sure. Let's see what we can find out about that. Who won House District 56 in Clinton? Thought that was uh, uncontested, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, both Democrat and Republican. Uh, Manziel won that uh, district. That would be Philip Gunt's old district. Thomas and Greenwood. Now what minefield did McDaniel leave behind? What do Delbert and Tate have to get his faithful to vote for them in November and prevent Democrats from winning the governor and lieutenant governor? Well, they have to obviously take their message to the people, Thomas. They have to do what they did to prevail in the in the primary. Uh, I will say the governor, uh, I think, faces the stiffer comp- comp- uh, competition in the general from former Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley, who is well-funded. And the governor made a point that he's going to continue to receive funding and significant support from out-of-state. Uh, Democrat organizations and operatives more than anything. And I think you're going to hear a lot from the governor along this line. You're going to hear this refrain that you don't want Benny, Biden, and Brandon. That's uh, that's his slogan there. I actually think it's pretty clever. He said it last night. And you'll hear a lot about all this money, all the supports coming from deep blue states that don't share our values, and we don't want that here in Mississippi, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that will be an effective message for him to prevail. But it will not be an easy task. But I will, I will go out on a limb here, I guess, just because it's so far off, and project that the governor will uh, defeat Mr. Presley by, by 10 points. 8 to 10 is what I'm thinking is going to happen. Just a projection at this point. Please define how a runoff is determined, says Scott. So, so yes, yeah, so in Mississippi, you got to get north of 50% in the primary. It's literally 50% plus one to win the primary outright. So, in the case of the lieutenant governor's race, which was, at the, in, in terms of uh, statewide races, close, 51%. Latest data I'm looking at, 92% of the votes in. As Rhino said, four counties still outstanding. But right now it's 51.6 for Mr. Hoseman, 43.1 for Senator McDaniel, and then Tiffany Longineau at 5.2. So given that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman has uh, sitting at 51.6%, and he Pretty much stayed at that level for most of the night. I was I was tracking it regularly. So at 51.6 percent, given that 92 percent of the votes are in the AP and those who make the calls, usually the AP, 
did so last night, 10.45 or so in the evening, when they do the math and figure out there's really no way for uh, Mr. McDaniel to uh, increase, or Ms. Longino, to increase relative to the increase the lieutenant governor would receive in the outstanding votes not yet counted uh, to, to change the outcome of the race. So they, that's how that works. Hope that helps. How do we feel about the uh, uh, the undervote for Brian Bailey? Not really sure what the question is there. We're coming right back with Henry Barber after Fox News and Super Talk News. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. It is hour two of middays, live from the Element Well studio on this hump day. The day after primary elections across the Magnolia State. This has come up a lot before we get to Mr. Barber. He's in the studio. We'll introduce him. In our situation, we had to vote Democrat uh, to vote for local offices. Any idea how to change that? And yeah, how, how that would be changed would be to adopt open primaries. Right now, the parties, essentially, conduct the primaries, and and uh, so you select a ballot uh, that's affiliated with the party that you want to vote for in a primary. You have to wait to the general that you can select uh, across the parties. That's just the way our system works in Mississippi. And going back, Rhino, to the ranked choice voting system, that's a lot of what uh, it at least purports to do, which is eliminate party primaries and eliminate runoffs. It's all done. One day the election is held. So, uh, and I've heard of that a lot from across the state. Henry, thanks for coming in. Sorry to, to get off on that uh, that tangent, but y- you've heard this too, right? Hadn't you? That people say, "Yeah, I voted," because we have a lot of legacy. I would sure. say local officials that uh, maybe are Democrats, but uh, at the statewide level, uh, clearly in the legislative level, Republicans dominate uh, our states. Mostly Republican, just based on the turnout you can tabulate in the elections. But they get to the polls and they say, "Well, I want to vote for the Republican statewide." House members, et cetera, Senate, state Senate, um, the district offices. But I got a supervisor, I got a sheriff, I got a, 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 a sure. yeah, tax collector or something like that. That's been going on a long time. Yeah. You know, and people, you know, for decades have, particularly Republican voters, have decided, well, you know what? I'm in Hines County and big sheriff's race, and I'm, I'm going to vote in the Democrat primary. Yeah where they typically might have voted in a Republican primary. Um, I will say, though, that's, that is clearly changing. Um, and, I, and yesterday reinforced that. Uh, four years ago in the Republican primary reinforced that. Um, you know, we're probably going to have 370 or so thousand people have voted, maybe, maybe closer to 380. 383 is what it was four years ago in the Republican primary. 
Um, but one thing that is, was it has really changed. It used to be Gerard, if you wanted to run statewide for Republican nomination, you didn't have to go very too many counties. You yeah. go to DeSoto. All right, I'm gonna have to go to DeSoto. I'm gonna go to Lee. I'm gonna go down to the coast, and I'm gonna go to Metro Jackson. Then that's those are your you know that's where all the votes are happening. I mean, look around at the results, and you look at uh, counties like Monroe, Grenada County. I mean, there several thousand folks, and all up in northeast Mississippi. Um, and and why is that? Because you got local Republican officials, and that's what really drives uh, turnout in 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 so many ways. Hmm. And so. For all these folks who are thinking about, man, I want to run in 2027, and I'm from Rankin, and they, you know, and you can't win unless you're from Rankin. I'm here to tell you, there's some truth to that, but that's changing, and more and more of the Republican primary is out in rural counties, and it's just it's an interesting takeaway from from yesterday and just the trends that we've had over the last. A uh, few election cycles, mm-hmm. and uh, it got reinforced yesterday. And what was an interesting primary day? It was indeed. It was, and, and just a thought I had there, Henry, is that that sounds like it's to some extent corresponds with what we're seeing on the national landscape. That uh, we're sort of seeing a flip of who the typical Democrat and typical Republican was through the years. Would you agree? I think there, I, I think there's, I think there's truth in that, and and the the flip side of this too at the state level, is, do you notice something about if you're a Democrat and you're the nom and and you're running for statewide office in Mississippi in 2019, how many of those Democrats had an opponent? How many? Any? You got a guess? How about not, zero? Okay, I knew it was not many. Zero, right? Zero. So. The Democrat Party is in an unhealthy position. It is not healthy for a political party to not have competition. Sometimes competition hurts, and sometimes it's tough. Um, but as Chris McDaniel showed yesterday, you can come together at the end of it. Yeah, and and that's what that's what you know political parties need to happen. But the Democrat Party's got a real problem. And and I think you know if you look at Brandon Presley, um, you know he's going in against Tate in this general election. He had no opposition, and I will say the Democratic Executive Committee cleared the field for him, just like the DNC tried to clear the field for Hillary, and and the Democrats Biden. clearly cleared <laughs> the field in South Carolina for Biden to make sure that Bernie wasn't. Yep. And so the Democrat Party, I think, in Mississippi has got real problems. And their new chairman, um, you know, they better open up to competition. Competition has been good for America. And it's, it, and it's not only good for America, it's good for our political parties, it's good for business. And anyway. But, Henry, it, I mean, it starts at the top. The apparatus it, it seems to be dysfunctional at this point. Does it not? It just doesn't seem to be well organized and well managed. I, I, I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm yeah. not trying to be critical, but it seems like they've had some some turnover, some dysfunction there, and I think that is sort of bleeding down into their their efforts in, in uh, pl- placing candidates on the ballot. Yeah, it seemed like uh, Sam Hall was the 
ED of the Democrat Party, and the last time I remember the Democrat Party being relevant, um, yeah. they really are. They're really struggling. And yeah, you. I mean, it's an infrastructure thing. It's a leadership thing. Um, and Republicans, I, I think. I mean, you look at our, our races, and um, if you're an incumbent. You know, a lot of them got a free pass in in the primary, and that's that's not unusual. But some of our incumbents, of course, had competition, and Delbert being Exhibit A. Yeah. Um, but I think the Republican Party is in a, a lot healthier position. And uh, like I say, I um, Senator McDaniel deserves credit for what he did last night to try to bring people together. Hey, you know what? We're like-minded. I might not agree with Delbert on everything, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to help the governor and I'm going to help all these Republicans win. And and that's a healthy thing because we're a whole lot stronger if we work together. He did. He issued, uh, I saw the same thing I'm sure you did, the campaign issued an, an official statement and he made those points. A little different tone, I would say, than 14. Would you? Yeah, very different. Very t- He's grown. He's grown, and I, I and I give him credit for that. I will say, his his voters base has not grown though. I mean, he essentially, if you look at 2014 against Cochran in that first primary, he got um, about 152,000 votes, and in 18 when he ran against Cindy Hyde Smith and he had SBN and they were all in that special election, they're all yeah. in, in together. Um, he got about 100, and, I think 57,000 votes. Yep. And he's going to end up, you know, maybe around 160 or you know, looking like. something, you know, maybe a little north of that. You know, but so not a lot of change. He he doesn't did not really grow his his base. And I, I had some theories on on that. But I, I you know I think you know to win the Republican nomination, you number one you got to be conservative. You got to connect with people, and I think. Um, you have to be about policy, and 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 you have to, I think, practice the politics of addition and not division. Yeah, um, it's not always the case, as President Trump showed, but um, um, but I I tend to think that works better. Were you surprised at the number of votes uh, Miss Longino received? I'm looking at eighteen thousand seven ninety one with ninety two percent in, five point two percent of the vote. Well, it's easy to draw it for me to. Oh no, I was not surprised. <laughs> um, I, honestly, um, I, I guess a little bit, but I think considering this race and considering the candidates, no, it doesn't really surprise okay. me that there are about five percent of Republicans who voted yesterday that said, "I'm not really for Delbert. I'm not really for Longino. Yeah. I'm going to vote for the nominee come November." But she not for like Delbert, a nice not lady. For, not for McDaniel. You said not for Longino. That's why they yeah, voted yeah, for Longino. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they weren't excited about Chris or Delbert. Right. I, I tend to agree. Rhino had the same sort of thoughts, and this first thing that hit me, I, I just, I guess I tried to look at it a little too logically and rather than emotionally and thinking no name ID, no money, no campaign apparatus. I didn't see her getting that many, but I think you're right. I think emotions came into play here, and people... I think we're just disgusted, really, with the whole ordeal, and said, "I'm just going to vote for somebody different." And that happens. Lots it of happens. politics. Yeah, Amen. we got uh, Henry Barber, GOP strategist in the Element Well Studio. We're coming right back. Just who do you think you are? Don't get stuck. You're never gonna get my love. 
three. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. back it's the day after primary elections in mississippi we're breaking them down for you on middays we're pleased to have henry barber gop strategist as our guest want to pass this on representative price wallace in simpson county says district two supervisor is in a runoff in in simpson county i think somebody asked about that didn't they earlier rhino so i just wanted to pass that on uh, curious, Paul's Appliance Repair says, how much power would a Democrat governor have over a majority Republican legislature? Many don't like the governor. Well, the, the power they have, Paul, keep in mind, would be the power of the veto pen. If uh, the Republicans sent legislation to the governor's mansion and the governor didn't like it, they certainly would have the prerogative of vetoing that legislation. But then, given the supermajorities that exist and expected to continue in the legislature in both chambers, they could then override the um, a, a veto. And, and governors know that. They, they count votes when that stuff comes their way. So what is it, two-thirds, I believe, to override a veto? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. So... They would be in pretty good shape. Republicans would to get their legislation to the governor's mansion veto-proof. Now they could not sign it, in which case in Mississippi, can't remember the exact time frame, but after a certain number of days, it automatically becomes law if the governor does not act and sign. But the veto is uh, really is impotent if you got supermajorities in the houses, in the legislature, in the Capitol. That say, okay, we're just going to vote to override your veto. This thing's law. That's the way that would work. So, but it's a good question, Paul. I hadn't really thought through that a lot, uh, Henry. The possibility of a Democrat governor and supermajority legislature. We do have that situation in some states, I believe. Louisiana. Yeah, exactly. Louisiana. Good. Oh yeah, they, good, good. They're shooting contentious. They're shooting him down all the time. <laughs> you know, overriding his veto. Yeah. And um, John Dale is is he's about to. Get to pack up there in the governor's mansion in, in Baton Rouge, yep. and um, they'll have a new <laughs> new somebody. That's right. Interesting deal. So back to this lieutenant governor's race, I think we have to agree that that was the high-profile um, one in the Republican primary. So you think about this concept of mandate. It's a mandate. You know, the Democrats really like to use this, Henry. They win by the slimmest of margins, and it's a mandate. This is what the people want. Well, how do you feel about this? I mean, so the lieutenant governor goes out and wins by nine points, but as you indicated, still looking at maybe a 25,000, 30,000 vote delta between the lieutenant governor, who's who's been declared the winner, and, and Chris McDaniel. Um, that's not a lot. I mean, when you think about a primary, so... How does that maybe affect the lieutenant governor's approach to governing in the next term? 
Well, the good news is for Delbert, he does get to govern. You know, he, <laughs> That's just true. he he's not heading to the house. Right. Um, uh, so I, I, it's kind of what I expected. I mean, as as far as numbers, I I I I knew that Chris McDaniel had a real chance of, sure. of winning. Um, but as far as how it affects, is that a mandate? Was this a Delbert Hoseman mandate? No, um, it was a Delbert Hoseman victory. Um, but you know, I don't know if anybody's talking about mandates. But um, he gets to be lieutenant governor again. He gets to run the Senate. That's yeah. a big deal. It is. And um, so, and when you figure that about forty-eight percent voted against him. Um, and look, man, you know, it's kind of a toss-up. It's I mean, half and half. He's just he's just several thousand votes away from a runoff, and you know, in 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 a, a three-week runoff, who knows what happens? Right. Um, but he won, so he gets Fair to go, he gets to go to the Capitol and and <laughs> and and work with a new speaker, and work with with um who I think will be reelected, Tate Reeves as governor. Yeah. Um, so. You know, big opportunity for his ideas. Something that I caught last night, Henry, at, at, at Delbert's um, watch party. Of course, the late race was called late. We expected that, I think. And it was, heck, it was 11 o'clock before we heard from him. And, of course, you, you're going to discuss. You're going to thank everybody. It's, it's, it's pretty routine. You're going to thank everybody. You're going to talk about your accomplishments, which you would expect to do. And then you're going to start discussing, here's what we're going to do in the next uh, term. And I noted that he talked about health care, nothing specific, but just need to address that issue in the state. Mental health care, campaign finance report, reform, noticeably absent and I point this out because it was it was such a, a contentious uh, couple of issues in the campaign. Nothing about uh, taxes, income tax reform. Nothing about the ballot measure. And um, the the challenger, Chris McDaniel, placed that fairly consistently at the top of his priority list. So I'm just curious that we got half the state, I believe roughly half, that I think supported Mr. McDaniel because they do uh, consider those to be priorities personally. And in the case of uh, Mr. Hoseman, he didn't even mention those. I was I was a um, little just, I guess, just took uh, note of that, shall we say. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. Well, I have to admit, um, I, I left the, the where I was watching just as he started. Okay. And, uh, and so... So you're telling me um, yeah. that's news to me. Um, that said, I, I mean, I take your point, your overall point, is, look, he won. He won by a lot. He won. Um, and the reality is Lieutenant Governor of Mississippi is really a very powerful position. Legislatively, the most powerful, arguably. Yeah, but there are those guys down there at the house guys and gals i should say <laughs> and there's a new speaker and and as we have seen the senate and the house will have to figure out how to come together so he uh, you know I, of course and then you got a governor um i i hope at the end of this election season 
that the, you know the governor and lieutenant governor and the and the new speaker will all sit down and 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 prioritize what what matters to Mississippians. What what are the things that that we can do to make this state even better? You know, even exceeding you know some of the gains that we've made in education that we've been hearing about. Um, and great uh, all-time low unemployment and great investments being made that the governor's uh, talked a lot about. You know, how do we get beyond that? Because there's there's lots of things that need improving. Yeah. Um, so I hope I hope uh, all three of those people will come together and have a really serious sit down, thinking long term. What can we do? And for Tate. If he's reelected, which I, I expect he will be, um, you know, it's this his political swan song. Unless he decides to run, you know, for federal office or wants to be a, a legislator from Rankin County, which I kind of <laughs> doubt. Um, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for him. He doesn't have to, you know, right. face an election again. And and so, you know, I, I think it's an opportunity to think. Uh, you know, out of the box and think big and think long term and and you know what what's good for what's good for the people. Yeah, the lieutenant governor did, of course, reference uh, the need for improvements in education and infrastructure. I mean, it's it's pretty standard, I would say, given that education consumes roughly half the budget and and uh, the special fund that runs our our transportation is a big chunk of money as well. But I will just point this out, Henry, is that the governor, in his remarks, once again called for the elimination of the income tax. So, yeah, the governor made a point. Right. And you know, he's been a, sure. a big proponent and advocate of that going back to the last campaign. Right. So he, he made mention in his speech, I, I just... I just, I guess, observe that the lieutenant governor didn't say a word about that. Um, well, I, th- it, I, I think there's... The, the, all three of them are going to get to sit down. Well, let's I, hope they do, though, because well, I don't think that happened the way it needed to last time. I, Would I, you agree? I, I certainly am not going to disagree. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it's it's a healthy thing. Yes. And and that's what that's what the voters need. That's what Mississippi needs. We need yes. we we got we're going to have a great governor. We're going to have a great speaker and great lieutenant governor, and they can all come together. And and uh, make the people the priority, all the people. Yeah, and, and you know we got great leaders in the chambers too, uh, sitting in well, the House and the Senate. Oh, for sure, no yeah. doubt about it. We yep. got, so we and got some a great good team. Deep blood. Right. So let's hope we can get some uh, coalitions built and, and uh, consensus created there and get stuff done. You can hang around with us, Ken. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got Henry Barber, GOP strategist, talking about yesterday's election. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
back. We are back. We are back. Little Boston, 1976, I believe. There, Rhino from the original album. Brad Delp on the vocals. There, passed away way too soon. We've got uh, Henry Barber, GOP strategist here in the Element Well Studio. So, the the eight plus point difference that separated uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman from Chris McDaniel who was just unable to pull it out. But you and I have talked about it. He is an incredibly talented individual. He can do more with less. Delbert, I think, had ten times the money, yet that's not reflected in the outcome. You know, if you if you look at the, the dollars that each candidate had and what they invested there, what, what do you think what, what do you think put Delbert over the top there, Henry? Well, few things. One, money. He had a significant financial advantage. Okay. Uh, you know, he had about four million dollars in his campaign, and I don't know how at, at the end of the day how much exactly they spent of that. He also he had a third party group, which he took two of his political guys, Quentin Dickerson and Josh Gregory, and they put together an independent expenditure group. That went negative early, basically the first of July, and and I will say those were the most effective ads, and they didn't have the most amount of money in them. And I will say, if you know Delbert's side made a mistake, is they should have gotten a lot more money into what Quentin Dickerson and Josh Gregory were doing. They were own message, and if Delbert had had a similar message or earlier like that. He'd have been sitting at 55 and not 52, hmm. in my opinion. Interesting. Um, uh, the realtors uh, also uh, had a significant independent expenditure effort on behalf of Delbert. They focused on public safety and crime. It was all positive about Delbert's record, and uh, you know that that helped. So money overall, and 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 these independent uh, groups. That worked for him. Um, I, I also, I mean, Chris McDaniel, more or less, he grew his numbers a little bit compared to what he had done in other statewide races, not significantly. And even if you look at uh, a few of his uh, key counties and you compare it to, and I'm a nerd. So I've, I've done a little bit of this. But if you compare the numbers that Chris got last night to the the runoff in 2014 against Cochran, in Jones County, last night he got 3,276 less votes than he got in that runoff. Okay. And in Forest County, he got about 2,500 less, 1,800 less in DeSoto County, and about 1,000 less in Pearl River. And those were all hmm. you know strong areas yeah, for, for him. him. Yeah. So point being, um, his base didn't perform at the same level that it quite did um, in in 14. Uh, but I certainly agree with you. Uh, Chris McDaniel, more than any politician that in probably the last 25 years in Mississippi, can do more with less money. And he's an incredible performer. And, uh, and we saw that. Um, I do think he made a strategic mistake, or whoever m- made the decision to run the hit on the abortion clinic issue, because I got to believe that Chris McDaniel and his team knew. Okay, well, technically, they could say that 
but they knew it wasn't it was misleading and it wasn't true and i and i think that was a, I, I think that was a gift to delbert because my view was at that point in the campaign uh delbert's campaign kind of had the ads where he's all sitting on the bench and it's all positive and and, and i you know my view is that that didn't do a lot mm-hmm. um but when this attack happened everything changed mm-hmm. delbert was mad i think lynn Hosman was mad, I think, and I think a lot of Republicans were reminded, oh, you know, okay, that's what McDaniel, you know, does. He likes to attack and in a way that might not be exactly construed as, hmm. as a fair hit. And I think it was a mistake. I think if 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 Chris McDaniel had not done that and stayed on um, more just basic conservative messaging, this race would have been closer. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah. you think in this case maybe the the route that was chosen by the McDaniel campaign to to attack the lieutenant governor on that issue maybe had a negative impact on I the think, outcome. I think it. I think it. It, it almost For wo- it almost woke up um, Delbert and his people, and and I think sure. there were a lot of people who thought, well, the, Chris McDaniel can't beat Delbert, and then that happened. It kind of woke them up. Um, and it and it changed the messaging that came out of the Delbert campaign, who had all the money. Yeah. And once that happened, it made it a lot more difficult for for Chris McDaniel to overcome the money spend because now the message was a contrast message or a hit message coming from Delbert. And so I think that was significant in preventing Chris to grow to grow his base. And so he kind of stuck at about where his base voters are. What about Madison County? We we got uh which is a big county and uh, we got within a week or so of the election and uh the mayor of uh, Madison, the city of Madison, Mary Hawkins Butler, who is uh, a very seasoned person in the political world and a very popular mayor, a force. A force, no doubt about it. Very influential. An institution. You no doubt about it. You have to take your hat off to her in that respect and uh, likely will cruise to re-election uh, when that happens. So uh, she comes out and uh, has this issue about the judicial redistricting with respect to the lieutenant governor and and, and says she has it on, on good authority that he would support splitting the district, the present circuit court district, with, with uh, Rankin, and then comes out and has a, has a, um, a discussion recorded on video at a big political luncheon here in Madison County. Last week comes out and says with Mr. McDaniel, who commits, I will not do that. And then she comes out the next day or two and publishes a video. And we've all seen it. it's gone viral saying, I'm voting for Chris McDaniel. I can't tell you the number of people, Henry. I'm sure you know a lot of them too that said, Hey, if the mayor says this is who we got to support, that's who I'm supporting. But the outcome didn't really indicate that that was uh, a factor. Uh, Madison County went pretty handily. Uh, in favor of the lieutenant governor, last time I checked. Yeah, Delbert got 67% of the vote, one of yeah. his best counties, if not his best county uh, in the state. I, I will tell you, I, I, I was like most people. When I saw Mayor Mary yeah. uh, do that, and I, and I saw the Grip and Grin <laughs> event and kind of how that played, it, it looked like to me, ooh, not not a good way to finish and you know, Mayor Mary, as you say, has got quite a following. No doubt. 
But I think, to some degree, maybe what we saw with the election results is she's got quite a following who love her, but she's also got a bunch of people in rank in Madison County who don't follow her lead politically. And so I, I think what she did uh, boosted turnout in Madison County, and um, it, it seems like uh, it 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 ended up helping Delbert, um, but I wouldn't have said that a few days ago because I was thinking, man, this 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 wasn't a good play. Me too. That's what I thought. Yeah, a lot, so, lot of people I think probably supported him in the first cycle in nineteen. I think peeled off for McDaniel simply because of the mayor's endorsement. Yeah, I will tell you one thing. I think Mayor Mary has made sure. That Madison County will get treated differently in that redistricting. We sh- we shall see, but um, I agree. Madison County carries a lot of weight in the GOP primary, and and which they demonstrated. I agree uh, again. And, y- yesterday, and I'm not sure where you stand on this, but just in my casual conversations with members of the legislature. I don't really think it had a chance uh, sure. splitting the district, sure. regardless sure. of where the lieutenant I'm governor sure there may was stand. Some talk, but yeah, yeah, I don't think that gets through. There's a lot of talk at the Capitol that never gets sure. anywhere because people figure out this is not what the people want. <laughs> exactly. But elected officials, as you know, entertain and accept meetings with people who come to them with requests. All the time. That's what they honestly. It's what they're there to do. That doesn't mean they're necessarily going to do what they're asking for. They'll take the meeting. They'll have the discussion, and all the while knowing I'm not on board with this. That's but, right. But, but be really polite. Yeah, professional and, and right. receptive, and and um, uh, listen with with intensity, and and make sure they understand the issue. But in their heart, no, that's not something I can get behind. It's part of governing, though, honestly. It's it's healthy. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we're going to dig into the 2024 presidential cycle. Lots of stuff happening there. we got Henry Barber, GOP strategist, in the Element Well studio. With Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, Henry Barber, GOP strategist, our guest. So, Henry, before we move on to the national scene, why are we unable to find any data on Democrat primary for governor? What did I miss there? I can't find any results. I, I guess nobody showed up. I, I mean, just says uncontested everywhere. Yeah, I yeah. Um, 
I, I don't know. I'm, I'm pulling my numbers off the New York Times. It gets theirs from the AP. Me and, too. And if you call uh, Emily Pettis I, I, at AP, I'm sure she knows the numbers. Um, but it is it's, no numbers. It's weird because you know, obviously we. It would be interesting to know how many people voted in Democrat primary yesterday statewide. And that, and according to what I'm looking at, Henry, in the Times uh, reporting. All the uncontested races just say uncontested. There's no data. Yeah. Right? I, I, I guess New York Times was busy. I, I don't know. <laughs> but seems odd to me. Yeah, seems weird. All right, so we got these presidential elections coming up. And, you know, if uh, you look at the the present polling, you'd say Donald Trump's lapping the field and he's got it in the bag. We got a debate coming up in Milwaukee. We're less than a month away from that. Uh, candidate Mike Pence just earned the right to participate in that debate. Eight total candidates have qualified. At this point, we don't even know if Donald Trump is going to be among them, although he's qualified. Uh, how do you see this playing out? You gave me some interesting information about when the primaries get cranked up next January, right? And how, how does that look? Well, I, I, all right, like you say, um, Donald Trump's got a big lead according to the polls. But a point I want to make is, <coughs> excuse me. Mm-hmm. If you look back, <laughs> if you look what? back, I'm, I think I'm okay. If you look back after the 22 cycle, yeah, Donald Trump's candidates did not do very well. Ron DeSantis, you know, we're just going gangbusters in Florida, yeah. And so all of a sudden, Ron DeSantis, a potential presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. He kind of peaked at that time, and he got up in the you know thirty forty percent kind of range, and Donald Trump came down into the thirties, and all of a sudden it looked like oh my gosh you know, uh, thank you, um, it you know it looks like Trump's in trouble, and then he gets indicted, and and things changed, and 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 part of that was I think that you know DeSantis didn't really perform, and it and it's interesting DeSantis peaked before he ever got in the race. Uh, we'll see. He's got sure a lot, he's got a lot of money left. We'll we'll see if they can fix he's something. He keeps firing over hundred million bucks. He keeps firing people, but <laughs> he did. He restructured but, his whole campaign team. But but the point I want to make is, I think there right now there's about sixty percent of Republicans say oh, yeah I'd vote for Trump in the in the in the primary, but I believe about half of them are really looking for new leadership. Hmm. They just today when they, if they get a phone call. Yeah, Trump. Yeah, Trump. I love Trump. Um, but if you look at what happened after 22, that's to me is proof that a lot of those people could be are 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 not 100 percent sold. Um, but we'll have we got a debate August 23rd in Milwaukee, and so we'll see if Donald Trump shows up. You can argue whether <laughs> he should or he shouldn't if, if that's in his interest. But but a couple points. That I want to make. Yeah. Um, so at the convention, the Republican convention in Milwaukee, in uh, in next year, there'll be two thousand four hundred and sixty-seven delegates, and you got to get a majority of those to win. So about twelve hundred and thirty-four, and each state, Mississippi, will have about thirty-nine delegates, and uh, the early states, Iowa. New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, they all vote in January and February of next year. They get to go first. Okay. And then there's all this talk, Gerard, about, well, you know, if if anybody's going to beat Trump, they've got to narrow it down, kind of like the Democrats did for Biden last time, because if you have five or six or seven people running, they're going to split the vote, and, you know, Trump's going to 
for sure hold on to his 30 or 35 percent or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point I want to make is that the, all those people who are running for president in the Republican primary, um, DeSantis, Pence, whoever, um, you know, if they don't scratch, if they don't do well in Iowa or New Hampshire or Nevada, they need to go. And the reason is because the the next big primary date is March 5, which is just about a week after. And 34% of our delegates get picked on March 5, including Texas and California. And by two weeks after that, March 19, two-thirds of our delegates will all be selected. That's very much in Trump's hmm. favor. Yeah. And it, it, but it also means if the if the field is going to narrow, they better narrow in a hurry. Wow, and you got to have the money for the staying power beyond that uh, as well. So yeah, yeah, totally interesting. Well, we we're gonna have, to have you come back in another time to talk about that. Of course, we got the big time governor's race coming up soon as well. Always a pleasure to see you, Henry. Thanks for coming in. Uh, enjoy your analysis and insight. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. Yep. We got uh, Henry Barber, who's been our guest, GOP strategist. We're taking a break for Fox News Super Talk News, coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. It is hour three of middays, the afternoon portion on this. Hump day. My son just turned 18 and didn't register in time to vote yesterday. Can he get registered and vote in November? I believe so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you, I think State's the law website. is you have to be registered 30 days before elections in Something like that. We probably so, yeah, ought to. we got 30 days between now and the general. Yeah, but I'm quite certain that registering in August to vote in November is, is doable. Oh, yeah. Is allowed. So, um We'll take a look at that on the Secretary of State website, but uh, I think they're fine right now, honestly. Should be good to go. Uh, what else did we get here on the ceasefire text line? It was uncontested on my ballot. Which one is that? That's why I gave you a funny look, because you said the Democrat race governor, and that was uncontested, so you didn't have to vote. Right, but uh, I thought there there still might be... Voting hell. I guess it wasn't. So they just don't. They don't bother to do that because it costs money to do so. Correct. Right. Okay. That's fair enough. Uncontested. No big deal. Um, yeah, makes sense. I'm a McDaniel supporter. I wish we could get rid of open primaries. Either make people register as Republican or Democrat, or do away with the primaries and have the general election start in August. Huh? In the second round in November. So that's James in Hattiesburg. So what do you what do you mean by that, James? As far as starting August and have a second round in November, meaning if you had open primary, which is essentially like a general election, and if no one receives fifty percent plus one of the vote, the, the majority of the vote, 
then we would proceed to a runoff. Is that is that what you're suggesting there, James? I'm curious. I'm not quite following. I, it's funny, Rhino. We're hearing a lot of people talk about the um, their desire to see us convert to uh, open primaries. And by the way, that that is handled in statute, not the Constitution. Best I could tell in researching that, it's it's statutory. I couldn't find anything in the Constitution related to primaries. I think that may be. Uh, I did see some statutes related to all this issue of voting in a primary and then the runoff if you vote in the primary. Because we don't register by party in Mississippi. We don't associate with a party when you register to vote. So you're free to vote in whichever primary you want. But if there is a runoff, you uh, cannot vote in the runoff that is different than the primary you voted in. Can vote Republican, for example, in the primary and and vote in a Democrat runoff. If you did not vote in the primary, you can vote in the runoff of your choice. That doesn't preclude you from voting in the runoff. The fact that you didn't cast a ballot in the primary. This is largely what was alleged in the 2014 election of McDaniel versus Cochran where we had a, a primary that was uh, close, but not the, no candidate got the necessary 50% plus one vote. Therefore, it pushed it to a runoff because there was a third party, not a third party, a third candidate in the primary that uh, peeled off enough votes such that neither of the uh, the top vote-getters got uh, the necessary majority. We ended up with a runoff. And you remember, many suggested that um, that the Cochran campaign essentially recruited, encouraged Democrats to vote in the runoff for him so as to defeat Senator McDaniel in that race. And, and it was Democrats who did not cast a ballot in the primary. Because if they did, in the Democrat primary, they would not be able to vote in the Republican runoff. And that's what happened. So I'm a little surprised about the, um, I, I guess, the advocacy for open primaries in Mississippi. It's um, The support is a little surprising to me. Just just stuff we've seen here on the text line today. I don't know how that would fare, honestly. It um, it would work the way that James suggested, though. It means that, I think this is what he means, is that if we didn't have a outright winner, 50% plus, in, the, in an open primary, we would go to a runoff, and you could have a runoff between two in the same party. I believe it's Louisiana, right, that has open primaries. It functions that way. That would be um, the closest one I could think of. Then, of course, the ranked choice voting in Alaska and Maine, and someone pointed out earlier that uh, Lisa Murkowski was reelected to the Senate seat, I believe prevailed over Sarah Palin, right? And it was a ranked choice vote, because that's how they vote for federal offices and statewide offices in, in Alaska. And uh, 
someone on our, our text line said, yeah, that's why I think Murkowski got elected. Interesting. I did it years ago. If you turn 18 before the general, you can register at 17 and vote at 17 in the primary as long as you register 30 days before the primary. I did it years ago on the ceasefire text line. Does that sound right? That's on the 662. I think you have to turn 18 by the time of the election. The one you're voting in? Yeah. So then that wouldn't be accurate, what this person said? Well, you can register at 17 as long as you turn 18 by the time of the election, I believe, is the way it works. Maybe I misread it. Um, Vote. This says vote at 17 in the primary, as long as you're 18 before the general. Yeah. So you would be 17 years old when you cast a ballot in the primary election, according to what this individual is saying. Correct. As long as you turn 18 before Before the the general. general. Okay. Interesting. I didn't. I was not aware of that. That is very interesting. So, who won Delbert Orr on the ceasefire tax line? This is from the seven three one. So, yeah, uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman won outright uh, in the primary last night because he received more than fifty percent of the vote. So, there will not be a runoff. Interesting. Noble Custom Woodworks says, how soon before McDaniel resigns his current position? He obviously doesn't want that position since he ran for lieutenant governor. Well, he he terms out. I mean, it's the, the, the term is over at the end of this year, so he's a state senator until is the way that works. He still serves out, but there would really be little to no activity uh, on the part of any of the members of the legislature, unless the governor calls a special session. Other than that, the committee leaders and the speaker, lieutenant governor, and, and others, no, no, not trying to suggest that other members aren't working, doing other things as well, but nothing official, so to speak. There's meetings. I mean, if he has a constituent that has an issue that yeah. they feel he could help them with, he he still is going to serve in that role until... His term is done. Yeah. He's, he's still the senator from his district, still in that role. But there's no legislative activity, uh, meaning they're not uh, going to convene and be in session at right. the Capitol unless the governor calls a special session. He's the only one that could do that. Instead now, of if he had a constituent that wants a certain bill to be dropped in the next legislative session, he he might listen to him, might take notes, might even have an idea of how it should be drafted, but he would have to pass it on to his successor to yeah. take care of it. Yeah, that's that's right. But he's still, uh, for those of you in, in his district, he's still your senator through the end of the year. The, um, the seat was won by incoming senator. Uh, let's see. Uh, that was Don Harkness and... Uh, on the was was defeated by uh, Robin, who also was a uh, Robinson. Robin Robinson, thank you. Yeah, that was the uh, member of the House and switched over and ran for Senate. That would be the seat that Mr. McDaniel vacated, and so she won her race against Don Hartness, a candidate in uh, that district, but she doesn't take the seat, she's not seated until January when the new 
legislature convenes for the duration of the year. Senator McDaniel is the senator. So it comes up again here, Rhino, on the 662. Why can't we vote on Dems and Republican candidates just to repeat? We, because we don't have open primaries in Mississippi. Our law doesn't allow it. We have so-called closed primaries. And by closed, it doesn't mean it's closed to people who are registered uh, with a certain party affiliation, because we don't do that in Mississippi. You're not there's no record of your party affiliation anywhere in our in our voting rolls. You simply request the the ballot corresponding with the party you want to vote for uh, in a primary. That's the first thing the poll worker says after you sign in. You want Republican or Democrat or independent, as the case may be. Coming right back. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. back in the Element Well studio. So, something else about this open primary subject. that There's Mississippi code that stipulates that a voter is only eligible to participate in a party's primary if he or she, quote, intends to support the nominations made the primary in which he participates. So, uh, in other words, if you, <laughs> if you vote in a primary, let's say the Republican primary, the expectation is you will support the Republican candidate in the general, wh- whomever emerges out of the primary as the victor in a race. Now, there's no proof of intentions. Can't prove intentions. I find it a little curious that such language even exists in statute. You know, when you when you see words like intends. So there's no empirical proof of a person's intention. Unless they sign some document, you know, affidavit. Yeah, I intend to vote this way. But we don't do that. You literally step up. You guys know this. You step up at the polling place and sign in, show your ID, and they ask you which ballot you want. Party's ballot. And then you vote. And when you come back and vote in the general, they don't say, hey, before you get that ballot, did you intend to support that when you voted back in the primary? That doesn't happen. The other thing I found, Rhino, I found this interesting. There was a bill in 2017 that would have established open primaries in our state. Died in committee. Oh, yeah. There was a ballot initiative that was attempting to get signatures. I want to say 2020 is when that got the ball rolling to have open primaries versus closed primaries. Yeah. I don't think it really ever got off the ground. Didn't get any traction. And I think that's probably because 
this is only an issue in in a handful of areas. It's not it's not a sort of a statewide pervasive issue. I think there's just a lot of legacy local elected officials that are probably more akin to Republican philosophy. I'd say this is the more typical case, but they're still... Well, there have been a lot more Democrats switch over to the Republican Party in recent history than the other way around. I agree. So I think this is why I'm suggesting this is the, the typical situation, that they're more Republican in philosophy, but but they're still associated with the Democrat Party and run as a Democrat. And that causes problems for folks out there that want to vote for them, for their elected officials, but they have to then vote in the Democrat primary and thus don't cast a ballot in the Republican primary. Yeah, totally agree. I, I have seen, uh, Rhino, just a, a couple of um, sort of predictable social media posts about the outcome of the lieutenant governor's election where folks are are um, contending that there was irregularity in the voting. And I'm reading one here that says they know they have the crossover votes. We have been trying to tell folks for a while now how much territory Delbert has taken and given to Benny Thompson. I don't know what the heck that has to do with voting in a statewide election, and all those on the fence, Republicans vote for Delbert blindly, assuming he still acts like a Republican, and many have just lost faith in the voting process. Another one says, so we will get stuck with Delbert and Tate again. This is not awesome. I'm not shocked, though. The barber machine always wins. That's B-A-R-B-E-R. That is their profession, one comments on this particular post. They work at 24-7. We, on the other hand, have to start basically from scratch each time. I don't know who we is exactly. And I do not for one minute believe that Haley Barber, former governor, and the Barber machine is controlling the state. I know that's alleged a lot, but... It's, it's just a ruse to think that, for example, the governor and former Governor Barber are just on the phone or in meetings constantly talking about running the state. It's just not, it's not happening, uh, nor is it with any other state leaders. And we got to move past that. There may be other issues that you have concerns about that cause you to support certain candidate, but this whole deal about the barbers, I, I think it's just misguided, honestly. I, I've never seen any evidence of that, and I'm pretty close to it, honestly. Never seen any. Um, it's typical tinfoil hattery. Well, I, it's disappointing, honestly, because I, I, I'm also disturbed by the fracture in the party. I said this to several people last night when I was at uh, Tate's event and then uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert's event, and I um, I said that you know it's no matter what it's not good and and we simply cannot we shouldn't celebrate like okay we won and then now we can just ignore all those people I don't believe that either and there's a hundred sixty seventy thousand people of the what probably will end up being a little over 400,000 
uh, that voted uh, for the alternative, the challenger. And, and I think we do have to take some stock in that. And they deserve, they deserve for their voice to be heard. They, they have a right to, to address their government. I totally agree with that. So I, I hope that we just don't say, okay, you're out of the game now, see ya. That's, that wouldn't be the right thing. I, and I'm not suggesting that's going to happen. I'm just opining that it's not good for our party. It's not good for our state. And I, I'm going to do what little I can, to the extent I can, to hopefully uh, mend those, 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 um, those holes, patch those holes up, and, and uh, work together. That's what I think we need more than anything. And Let's hope that's the case. I, I was pleased to see Senator McDaniel's statement. We talked about that when Henry was on the line and and uh, on the show. And he said, for example, reading one paragraph, tonight it's clear that Delbert Hoseman heard you, and I know grassroots patriots will continue to encourage him to fight for Mississippi values and our conservative principles. Mississippi's future deserves a fighting chance. After 16 years in public office, it's now my turn to join the ranks of hardworking Republican activists across our state to re-elect Governor Tate Reeves and support every Republican on our ballot this November. I hope you'll join me. And that's just a couple of paragraphs, uh, um, excerpts from his full statement. So I, I felt like that was uh, appropriate, the right message, the right tone. Appreciate that. From Looks like we Senator. finally got all the other counties reporting in. Oh, okay. Oh, I see him too. Yep. So we're still, it, it won't be the quote-unquote official tally because they will still go back and vote mail-in ballots, absentee, that kind of stuff. But uh, as of right now, yep. with all, with over 95% of precincts reporting in, the governor's race wound up with Governor Tate Reeves having 74.6% of the vote. Uh, the lieutenant governor's race, Delbert Hoseman wound up with 51.7% to Chris McDaniel's 43.1% and Tiffany Longino's 5.2%. Yeah. So it's really hasn't changed materially, um, even with these additional votes now being tabulated and included in the totals, an 8.6% delta between the uh, Chris McDaniel in the lieutenant governor's race and Delbert Hoseman at the 51.7 versus 43.1. So that's, I think that's in line with what we expected. I said 52% yesterday. He's at 51.7. Again, the shock of the whole deal was the 5.2 for uh, Miss Longineau. And again, no disrespect to her, but um, not really having much in the way of resources and assets. You just wouldn't expect that she would uh, be able to peel off nearly 19,000 votes. I do think there's some just frustration with the whole dang thing that uh, people just said, I'm not voting for either one of them, given the the toxicity of the campaign and really the relentless campaigning as well. It was, what would you say, like a landing place, so to speak. I think you're right on that. I, I would agree. Well, we got a lot more to talk about as well. Something that I want to get to today is the debt. We talked about this, the national debt, a couple of weeks ago when Joe Biden was bragging about cutting the deficit. 
And I try to say, not so fast there, Mr. President. Well, just got the latest report 10 months into the fiscal year. Stay with us. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio, so something I thought about, Rhino, that um, these races on the Democrat side that are uncontested, and and that's all the data we see, uh, like governor, a lot of folks are interested in how many votes. So what I thought about is we did have a statewide race that had multiple candidates in it for Democrat, as a Democrat, that was for Agriculture Commission. Correct. Okay, so I looked at the results. That's the one I was thinking would actually have a runoff. Right. I kept saying there may be one with a runoff. That's the one I was thinking of. It was close. Uh, Br- uh, Robert Bradford, he goes by Brad. You remember he was on the show the show with Brad Bradford. He received 51.8%. So that's what 97% of the votes counted. So that would indicate no runoff. He's got the necessary 50% plus to win in the primary. But I just thought, well, if we looked at the total number of votes cast – in that particular race, and since that was a statewide race on the Democrat ballot, you could at least infer from that the number of Democrats that voted. Since Mr. Presley's race was uncontested, you could conclude that, well, all of those would have voted for Mr. Presley. He's the only choice you had if you're voting in the Democrat primary for uh, and for governor, that is. It was 181,000 total votes cast in that particular race. So if you... You, you would uh, could contrast that reasonably to the uh, number of votes cast for governor on the Republican side, just to get a feel for how many Democrats voted yesterday for how many Republicans. And that would be some degree of a harbinger of the outcome of the general election. Well, it's roughly double, 356,000 total voted in the Republican primary for governor, 181,000 in the Democrat primary for ag commissioner, no data otherwise. However, because so many of those races were uncontested, you'd have to think that the voter turnout was very low for Democrats. Why go to the polls to vote when most of the races are uncontested? Potentially. So I don't know that you could could um, definitively infer and estimate the number of Democrats that would vote in the general, which would give you some sense of what the outcome would be in the general, let's say for the governor's race, which is clearly going to be the marquee one in the general. I don't think you could say, well, okay, 181,000 voted 
at least for ag commissioner, it's the only data we have on a statewide race because all the rest were uncontested for the Democrats. Therefore, they would vote um, in the in the general at about the same level, and Governor Tate Reeves would would double up on them, lap the field because assuming all the folks who voted in the Republican primary would vote for the governor in the general, and that's probably not a totally accurate assumption, but it's close, I would say. He would receive double the votes if Mr. Presley received the same amount as the total cast for the only statewide Democrat race, which was Ag Commissioner. It's the best we can do today. That's all I'm trying to convey. But it's a reasonable question. Dems may not want to expose the low turnout. Well, we just did, because, I mean, it's, a, it's sure, that's a thought. But, again, you really didn't have any high-profile races on the, on the ticket to draw them to the polls. Don't think Ag Commissioner would do it. I would say that number would be the upper bound of the data set. Because, yeah. for example, we've had several people on the ceasefire text line talking about how they didn't vote in the Republican primary because they wanted to vote for their local positions, which were on the Democrat ballot. Yeah. Well, if you're intending to vote Republican, but you're only voting Democrat because that's where your local election's being held, you may just skip Brandon Presley on the ballot Yeah. because you don't intend to vote for him in the general, which means the total number of votes we're getting from the ag race, that's why I'm saying that may be the upper bound, because that, that's presuming... Everyone that voted for the Democrat Ag Commissioner candidates also voted for Brandon Presley. Fair enough. But that's the best we have today, to, to try to project what things may look like and get a sense of what the turnout was. And, of course, even though uh, Brandon Presley's uh, at the top of the ticket there was race was uncontested, you, you do have a number of House and Senate seats that uh, involve Democrat candidates or, or Democrat uh, districts mostly, and uh, and so they still went to the poll, even though okay, I don't have to vote for the governor; it's uncontested. But it's just limited information today, honestly, that we can work with. Vicky and Clarksdale ask, "How could we change that law?" So a lot of people seem to want to want to um, convert to open primaries, and and the way we change that law is to talk to your your senators and and uh, your house members. And and just tell them you support open primaries and you'd like for them to consider introducing legislation to do so. I, I don't know if it passed or not. It died in committee last I can check. And you mentioned that, yeah, I, I remember this. There was a, a move that was getting kind of spun up. I just can't remember if it was a lack of signatures or if it also fell victim to the Supreme Court decision. Yeah. Because of the time. Because I want to say it was 2019, 2020 is when that started being talked about. But I don't remember if it was that year when they started collecting signatures or if it was, say, 2021 or 2022, which if you're collecting signatures and the Supreme Court says it's no use, you would just stop. Same time frame, though. I, I, I totally agree. You know, something else I noticed when I accessed the, the Constitution, even though... It didn't pass. I'm looking at the most recent publishing of it. Do you know there still is? This was updated May 2022. Okay, there still is a section, an article entitled "Medical Marijuana." 
And it's kind of interesting because if you if you go to that section, that article, there is a very brief statement that says um, it, it talks about the Mississippi Constitution had it had an initiative approved by the electors to take effect that would establish a medical marijuana program, et cetera, et cetera. Then it goes on to say that's just a short paragraph, and then there's another one right after that behind it that says, however, on May 14, 2021, the Mississippi Supreme Court ruled in the initiative measure number 65 versus Watson 2021 that the petition submitted to the Secretary of State seeking to place initiative 65 on the ballot for the November 30, November 3rd, 2020 general election was insufficient, is the terminology used there. So you remember, Rhino, I'm just pointing this out. The whole idea was a lot of people objected to having the medical marijuana program uh, placed in and shrined in the Constitution, which was the only option we had for a ballot measure in Mississippi. The one that the Supreme Court says is invalid. And it's interesting to me that there's still medical marijuana language, at least, not the entire bill, which would have been probably bigger than the whole dang Constitution. As I remember, it was a very uh, lengthy piece of legislation. But the fact is, the words medical marijuana appear in the state Constitution. I wonder if that's... Uh a byproduct of retaining it for historical reference. Could be. Kind of like in the U.S. Constitution, the amendment for prohibition is still there, it's just stricken. Could could be. That's exactly what this is. I mean, you know, there's two paragraphs, one that says, here's what happened, the other that says, okay, but yeah, the Supreme Court said that ain't no good. Interesting. Very interesting. So, uh, we had a couple people that said, uh, even though I, I said I supported Chris McDaniel, and I simply can't support Delbert Hoseman in the in the uh, in the general. So I mean, it, I think there will be some of that defection, but I don't think it'll be enough to sway the election. Uh, Certainly not in the lieutenant governor's race now. Yeah, simply because the Democrat candidate has near zero name recognition. And yeah. Couldn't even tell you it About is. the same in campaign funding. Right. Always enjoy hearing Henry Barber's views, Charlie and Senatobia. Now I need to eat lunch during Investor's Roundtable. I hope you make some money there, uh, Charlie. The markets today uh, down, still a little queasy with inflation data coming out tomorrow. That is a concern. Um, the news out of China shows that their economy is not recovering at the rate expected. Italy, this is crazy, Rhino. They, the way that country works, um, their organization, their agency that governs financial industry, banks in Italy, windfall profits tax enacted overnight yesterday. All you banks... It's actually not a profits tax. It's a windfall. Well, it kind of is, but if it's a windfall profits tax based on excess interest rates, you made more money because the interest rates went up. You got to pay us. It's a tax. That's nuts. So the markets don't like that. Also, I told you I'd uh, share it with you. The debt. I'll take care of that on the other side of the break. We're going to talk to you about that. Stay with us. It's so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Yeah. 
Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. So the latest report from the Treasury, which comes from the federal government, this, this data I'm about to share. So little point of reference, the president runs around bragging about reducing the deficit by $1.7 trillion. That's the way he always says it. And we, we've been through the math with you before on that. He's referring to uh, 21 to 22. He boosted the deficit because he passed the American Rescue Plan that uh, increased spending by $1.9 trillion that year. And then the next year, he didn't pass another American Rescue Plan, and so the deficit came down. So we had a, a, a $2.1 trillion, $2.8 trillion deficit, pardon me, and then we had a $1.4 trillion Deficit. And the, where he gets the three, that 1.7 is the, the 2.8 in the first year was $300 billion less than the 3.1 during the last Trump year, 2020. So follow me here. It's 3.1 last Trump year. Then it went to 2.8. So that's a, that's a reduction of $300 billion. And then it went to 1.4, which is $1.4 billion reduction year over year, 21 to 22. So you add the two up. 300, 1.4, that's the 1.7. By the way, it's trillion. My fault. Trillion. Trillion, trillion, not billion. That's where he comes out with that. All right, this year, this year, 10 months in, we're at 1.6 trillion. So when he runs around bragging about reducing it year over year, that's out the window now. Does not apply. Would be a lie. Because this current year, fiscal year 2023, we not only have produced $200 billion more in deficit spending relative to the entire year of last year, at the 10-month mark, if you annualize that, we're going to hit the $2 trillion. You remember, Rhino, I said it about three or four months ago, these people aren't paying attention. We're on track to hit $2 trillion. We are. We're going to hit $2 trillion. So what's he going to say? Is he going to keep lying about it? I'm sick of it. Really am. And you just hear it over and over again. Meantime, our favorite senator from Massachusetts, you know what I'm talking about there, of course, old Liz Warren. Well, she makes a statement this morning. Giant corporations shouldn't be able to freeload off hard-working Americans, freeload, by not paying any federal income taxes. So I fought to put a minimum tax on massive corporate profits. It is we, rich for a Democrat to use the word freeload. freeload. We got it done. Oh, but get this. And now it's fueling a funding clean energy projects in Massachusetts and across the country. No, it's not. I just told you. We got a $2 trillion deficit. How can they keep lying like this? It just... You could tell it aggravates me because it's a lie. 
No. The little $40 billion you may get because of this stupid law you put into place, which they just pass on to us at the cash register, it won't pay for your dumb green energy investments. By the way, a lot of which were made in this bus company. You saw that? Proterra. They went bankrupt. Announced bankruptcy. And guess who invested in it? It was a pump-and-dump deal, as we say, in the investment world. Old Jennifer Granholm herself, the Secretary of Energy, personally invested and converted that to a million dollars. Invested in this electric bus company. It's just incredible. Really incredible. So uh, Thomas is uh, absolutely obsessed with Medicaid expansion. No doubt about that. Has been. And I know there are very strong feelings on both sides of that. Thomas, there's no chance in hell, dude. I'm just being straight with you, man, that you're going to repeal Ronald Reagan's Mtala law. Ain't going to happen. And the Mtala law, guys, if you're not familiar with that, it's it's, uh, an acronym that basically means that if someone shows up at the hospital in the emergency room, in that hospital participates in Medicare and, Medi- and or Medicaid, they are required by law to stabilize the patient. And there's a definition of what that, that constitutes from a clinical perspective. Meaning they're going to spend money on them. If they show up, for example, it's really urgent situation, they're having a heart attack, stroke, time is of the essence, they're going to consume a whole bunch of costs, even if they can't pay, and the hospital is going to eat it. That's what Mtala says. Otherwise, they'd say, oh, can you pay me while you're having that heart attack? No, I don't have any money. I'm sorry, you got to die. That's what repealing Mtala would mean. This is a tough ethical, financial, legal, political issue that's not going away. Oh my gosh. So we are out of time here today. We appreciate you joining us. We got a lot more to talk about tomorrow. We'll be back right here. Stay with us. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.